Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet him, greet him, treat him, and street him. Today's date is May 1st, 2017, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Milne. The title of today's podcast is POCUS, a new sensation for diagnosing pediatric fractures. And our guest skeptic is Dr. Corey Heinz. Corey is an emergency physician in Roanoke, Virginia. He's also the CME editor for academic emergency medicine and the associate editor for emergency medicine simulation at the AAEM MedEd portal. Welcome back to the SGM, Corey. Thanks, Ken. Glad to be back on the show. Well, this is another SGM hot off the press from AEM. The last SGM hop featured EM research legend, Dr. Ian Steele, and it had a huge response from social media. Yeah, what a great episode that was. Put together some really great research on an important topic with an excellent guest host and add in an engaged audience and you've got a recipe for success. Now, Corey, we're not going to review the SGEM hop process, but we'll put the details on the show notes. However, do you mind reminding the SGEMers about the CME credits attached with these episodes? That's right. Those of you who are subscribers to Academic Emergency Medicine can head over to the AEM homepage to get CME credit for this podcast and article. Once you're at the AEM homepage, find the Get CME link on the left. This will take you to the Wiley Health Learning website. Either log in or register to create your login, search for the Academic Emergency Medicine May questions, complete the five questions, and submit your answers. If you have any issues with this, email me, Corey Heights, md at gmail.com, with any questions or difficulties. That email address will be in the show notes. All right, Corey, give us a case. You are working in your community emergency department when an anxious father brings in his eight-year-old who was playing at the park and tripped and fell onto his outstretched right hand. He has pain over the distal forearm with mild swelling and no deformity. You've gotten pretty good with point-of-care ultrasound and are curious about how good it is to diagnose forearm fractures. Well, point-of-care ultrasound has become the stethoscope of the 21st century in emergency medicine, and POCUS can be used for so many conditions, and we've done a number of episodes on the topic. You know what else we see a lot in the emergency department, Ken? Pediatric fractures. Well, Corey, do you know what the most common type of fractures in children are? Distal forearm fractures. Well, Ken, fractures are a painful condition, and appropriate analgesics should be provided to avoid oligoanalgesia. It has been shown that children represent one group known to be at risk for inadequate pain control. And we've covered the issue of pediatric pain control on SGEM number 78. Pediatric EM superhero, Dr. Anthony Crocco, did a ranthony on pediatric pain. In that 2015 rant, he warned about using codeine for pain control in children. And just last month, the FDA put out a a drug safety communication stating that codeine is contraindicated in children younger than 12 years of age. This was due to the serious risks of using codeine in children, including death. One aspect of pain management in pediatric patients with fractures is the discomfort caused in obtaining x-rays, even in non-displaced fractures. Point-of-care ultrasound, or POCUS, represents a possible solution. POCUS has been described as highly accurate for long bone and forearm fractures. However, many of these studies included patients with obvious angulations, potentially inflating the accuracy estimates. All right, Corey, give us a clinical question we're going to address on today's episode. Is point-of-care ultrasound for non-angulated suspected forearm fractures in children just as accurate, faster, and less painful than getting x-rays? And what reference will we be discussing? 
We're going to be talking about Punai et al. Point of care ultrasound for non-angulated distal forearm fractures in children. Test performance characteristics and patient-centered outcomes from Academic Emergency Medicine, May of 2017. Yes, it is hot off the press. Let's run through that PICO. What was the population? Children aged 4 to 17 years presenting to the emergency department with a suspected non-displaced distal forearm fracture less than 48 hours from injury from a fall on an outstretched hand. And there were a number of exclusions, and we'll list those in the show notes. What was the intervention? Bedside ultrasonography. And what did they compare it to? Standard x-rays. And let's run through those outcomes. What was the primary outcome? Sensitivity of POCUS as compared to x-ray. And what did they have as their secondary outcomes? These included pain, caregiver satisfaction, and procedure duration. Well, now it is our pleasure to have the lead author of this SGEM hot paper, Dr. Naveen Panai. Naveen is a pediatric emergency physician at the Children's Hospital London Health Science Centre. He's also an associate professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at Western University. The Canadian Association of Pediatric Health Centre project lead for pediatric pain assessment and pediatric section lead for the best evidence in emergency medicine. Welcome to the SGEM, Naveen. Thanks, Corey. Had a little trouble finding the place, but it's good to finally be here. Well, I'm glad you got here so we could create some really good FOMED. Now, I understand from my evidence-based medicine mentor, Andrew Worster, that you're a bit of an EBM nerd, just like me. Yes, Ken. Andrew knows me way too well, and I've had to admit that it's a pretty accurate description of me. So, Naveen, what got you so interested in point-of-care ultrasound? Good question, Corey. The truth is I love POCUS because it allows me to answer clinical questions quickly and in real time. I spent a lot of time playing around with the ultrasound probe in kids with injuries, and I always got the distinct impression that it was faster and less painful than x-rays. And as you probably know, pediatric pain is my passion. So I thought to myself, why not see if POCUS can provide a less painful approach than x-rays in the evaluation of injuries in children. I can hear the passion in your voice, Naveen. So what were the conclusions that you and your co-authors made in this study assessing distal forearm fractures in children using POCUS? Ken, we concluded that POCUS assessment of distal forearm fractures in children is accurate, timely, and associated with low levels of pain and high caregiver satisfaction. Well, Naveen, we're going to run through a quality checklist for diagnostic studies, and then we're going to bring you back to talk about the results, and then my favorite section, Talk Nerdy. Does that sound good? Sounds great, Ken. All right, Corey, here we go for the quality checklist for a diagnostic study. There are 10 questions. The first question is, the clinical problem, is it well-defined? Yes, it is. The study population represents the target population that would normally be tested for this condition, i.e., No spectrum bias. Yes, it does. The study population included or focused on those in the emergency department. Yes. The study patients were recruited consecutively, i.e. no selection bias. No, they weren't. Question five. The diagnostic evaluation was sufficiently comprehensive and applied equally to all patients, i.e. no evidence of verification bias. Yes, it was. All diagnostic criteria were explicit, valid, and reproducible, i.e. no incorporation bias. Yes. The reference standard was appropriate, i.e. no imperfect gold standard bias. Going to have to go with unsure here, Ken. Number eight. 
all undiagnosed patients underwent sufficiently long and comprehensive follow-up, i.e. no double gold standard bias. Also unsure on that one. All right, question nine, the likelihood ratios of the tests in question is presented or can be calculated from the information provided. Yes, and as a matter of fact, they provided these numbers for us. All right, the tenth and final question, the precision of the measure of diagnostic performance is satisfactory. And one final unsure. All right, let's run through those key results. There were 169 patients included in this study with 76 fractures identified. The mean age was 11 years of age, with 52% being male. The majority of the fractures, about 80%, were buccal fractures. So Naveen, tell us what the primary outcome was. Sure, Corey. POCUS had a sensitivity of 94.7%, almost 95%, with a confidence interval ranging from 89.7% to 99.8%. You also provided the other test performance characteristics for POCUS, and that was a specificity of 93.5%, a positive predictive value of 92.3%, the negative predictive value was 95.6%, and then you had the likelihood ratios. Now the positive likelihood ratio was calculated at 14.6%, and that's greater than 10 that we like to see to rule in conditions. The negative likelihood ratio was 0.6%. There were four missed fractures, including three ulnar starlight fractures and one distal radius buckle fracture. How about the secondary outcomes, Corey? Interrater agreement was 0.74. Pain scores were lower with POCUS, as was procedure duration. 90% of caregivers were satisfied or very satisfied with point-of-care ultrasound. All right, that finishes the key results section. Now it's time to talk a little nerdy. We're going to be talking nerd to nerd to nerd, Naveen, and hopefully this will help us understand your research even better. You ready to go? Sure, Ken. Bring it on. All right, Corey, why don't you kick off the nerdy questions? So number one, this was a convenient sample. These were not consecutive patients presenting to the emergency department with suspected distal forearm fractures. Children were screened three days a week between 5 to 11 p.m. when both the research assistant and the study physician trained in POCUS was available. Do you think this could have introduced some selection bias? Good question there, Corey. There absolutely remains the possibility of selection bias, but unfortunately, without moving out of my house and into the PZD for a year, this was the single best approach to recruitment. One factor mitigating against selection bias is that participants were recruited consecutively during availability of research personnel. Naveen, just how committed are you to research? You mean you're not prepared to move into the PZER to complete the research? No, not yet, Ken. Maybe in a few years, though. <laughs> All right, let's get to question number two. This is about POCUS experts. Ultrasound was done by one of four pediatric emergency physicians with a minimum of two years POCUS experience. Now, they performed 25 satisfactory training scans and viewed a four-minute training video. Now, Naveen, most community emergency physicians will not have this level of expertise. How do you think this may have affected your results? That's a good point, Ken. The short answer is that it limits our findings external generalizability to more experienced sonographers. But what's important to note, however, is that many rural healthcare settings, including disaster and conflict zones around the world, may not have ready access to x-ray technology, and POCUS is arguably one of the fastest growing skill sets that community physicians are acquiring. I think our findings provide a good rationale for emergency providers to acquire this skill set. 
A follow-up question. One physician, and I'm suspecting it was you, Naveen, performed 50% of the scans. Do you think that this too may have impacted the results? Definitely, Ken. And this too may have limited external generalizability to more experienced POCUS providers. But I would like to point out that there were no glaring differences in test performance characteristics between sonographers. Number three, analgesia, x-ray, and then point-of-care ultrasound. Over half of patients received analgesia at triage with a median interquartile range until x-ray being 24 minutes, while the median interquartile range to point-of-care ultrasound was 61 minutes. It is known to take about 30 minutes for acetaminophen and ibuprofen to provide effective analgesia. More than four out of five times the x-ray was done before the ultrasound. Could it not be that there was just more time before the point-of-care ultrasound and that is why patients reported less pain? This is definitely possible, Corey, and in designing this study, we wrestled with how best we would account for this limitation. We couldn't control for the timing of diagnostic imaging, so what we did was perform an exploratory analysis which showed that pain scores were unrelated to the order of the imaging modality or to provision of analgesia. So here we go with question four, and it's about the outcomes. There were four missed fractures. But are these clinically important misses, three styloids and one buckle? As far as clinical outcomes go, I would have to say no, Ken. The missed fractures were all undisplaced. Our results are in line with what has been described as a lower diagnostic accuracy at the ends of long bones, likely due to that physis. And what this does teach us is that POCUS education programs should really emphasize the importance of this region for novice ultrasonographers. Well, just a follow-up question there. POCUS was associated with significantly lower median pain scores, statistically, but this was not considered clinically significant. That's a good pickup, Ken. A clinically significant difference on the face's pain scale revised is actually one face. However, for both X-ray and POCUS, pain was largely in the mild range. One possible explanation is that non-angulated fractures, which made up our study sample, may be inherently less painful than angulated fractures during manipulation for x-rays. And what we have shown is that clinicians can confidently reassure patients that POCUS assessment of an injured limb is not painful. Well, we're always looking for patient-oriented outcomes, and one of the outcomes you had was the time, and it was less time to do the POCUS, about 30 minutes. But is this clinically significant to the patient and caregivers? And did it impact their overall length of stay in the emergency department? That's a really good question, Ken, and it's one that we couldn't answer easily because each participant served as their own control and got both POCUS and an X-ray. What we have shown, though, is that POCUS is more than an order of magnitude faster than X-ray, which may or may not be important to patients, clinicians, and even administrators. Now, the S-Jammers know that I like to ask five questions, but what Naveen might not realize is I'm sneaking in extra ones here. So one more under the outcome section, and that's the primary outcome. It was sensitivity, but it had a wide confidence interval going all the way down to 89.7%. Naveen, should we be concerned about this lack of precision? Yes, and we tried to avoid that by performing a sample size calculation, You know, most clinicians are concerned about missing a fracture, so we should focus on the lower bound of the confidence interval for the sensitivity estimate, which is, as you stated, 89.7%.
To interpret this with some perspective, however, we would ideally have liked to compare sensitivity of POCUS to the treating clinician's interpretation of the x-ray. Now, this wasn't possible in this study, but I suspect that sensitivity of the clinician's interpretation may be similar. And number five, maybe, is the x-ray gold standard. While x-rays are the clinical standard used, they are not perfect and fractures can be missed. Certainly, we don't want to get CT scans on all these children. So how do we know if all the negative x-rays were true negatives without any follow-up performed on these patients? Another good point, Corey. Truthfully, we don't know because not all patients with non-displaced fractures receive follow-up x-rays. So the presence or absence of callus formation couldn't be determined. Well, Naveen, those were the, quote, five questions we had for you. Is there anything else that you think the SGMers need to know about your study or how to interpret the results? Absolutely, Ken, and I'm glad you asked. One of our key findings was a specificity of 94%. This suggests that if a fracture is identified using POCUS, an X-ray may in fact be unnecessary, depending, of course, on a reliable history and a cooperative patient. Okay, Corey, it's time to comment on the author's Naveen's and his co-authors' conclusions and compare them to the SGEM's conclusion. We agree with the author's conclusions. Well, can you give us an SGEM bottom line? Point-of-care ultrasound performed by experienced ultrasonographers has high diagnostic accuracy for distal forearm fractures, takes less time, and has low levels of reported pain. And now how are you going to resolve that case of the young boy who fell and broke his arm? You perform point-of-care ultrasound on your patient and diagnose a distal radius fracture without any need for manipulation. You offer the patient an x-ray, which confirms your diagnosis, and you splint the patient prior to discharge. Now, how are you going to take this new paper that's hot off the press from AEM and apply it clinically? Point-of-care ultrasound can be used to confirm a distal forearm fracture, but misses a few minor fractures. X-rays should continue to be the clinical standard, but shared decision-making may reduce the use of x-ray in some cases. And so what are you going to tell the patient, or in this case, the parents or caregivers? The ultrasound shows that your son broke his arm. We're going to confirm that with an x-ray. The nurse already gave him some acetaminophen for pain, and he can take some more in about four hours. If it truly is broken, it will be placed in a splint, and we will refer him to the broken bone doctors called orthopedic surgeons. All right, you Keeners, it's time to find out who won last week's Keener contest. And the winner was Natalie Cho from the University of Ottawa. She knew Einthoven's triangle is the name of the imaginary equilateral triangle with the heart at its center, formed by the axis of the three bipolar limb leads. I do have an update from last week's Keener contest. An S-gemmer named Mario sent me an email clarifying the issue about ASA and the bark of willow trees. To be more accurate, the bark contains salicylin, which is metabolized to salicylic acid. Modern chemists add the acetyl group, making it ASA. Thank you very much, Mario, and that is why it is always good to be skeptical of anything you hear, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. So I will be sending Mario an extra special, cool, skeptical prize. Corey, what's the question this episode? What is the difference between a green stick and a buckle fracture? 
If you know the answer to this week's Keener question, then send an email to thesgem at gmail.com with Keener in the subject line. The first correct answer will receive a cool, skeptical prize. All right, SGMers, now it's your turn. What did you think about this episode? Do you have questions or comments for Dr. Punai and his team about POCUS for diagnosing pediatric fractures? Post them on the SGM blog. You can tweet your comments using the hashtag SGEMHOP. The best social media feedback will be published in Academic Emergency Medicine. But remember, this is a limited time offer and you need to get your response in within one week of this episode. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you very much, Corey, for doing another SGEM hot off the press. No problem, Ken. And don't forget, you can get CME credits from this episode. And Naveen, thank you for doing the research, getting it published, finding my house, coming on the show, and helping us interpret the results so that we can give patients the best care based on the best evidence. No problem, Ken. Happy to be here. Well, as our guest skeptic, you get to give the SGEM tagline. Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next episode.